Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can now find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host Joe Cunningham and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Planet Hulk and The Mask episodes. On today's show I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on last week's podcast. Those were the continuation of Planet Hulk and Beta Ray Bill Godhunter. But before any of that, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. We'll start with the first trailer for Doctor Strange, which showed us that Scott Derrickson's film is most certainly an origin story and looks to be referencing some pretty big movies from the last decade. So, alongside the car crash, damaged hands and training in the magical arts, we see visuals that bring to mind, perhaps unavoidably, Batman Begins, but also the likes of Inception and The Matrix. There's none of Marvel's trademark humour on show so far, and this also looks a little more visually distinct than most of Marvel's Earthbound movies. My main concern so far, though, is Benedict Cumberbatch's honkingly bad American accent, because that seems like something that even magic can't fix. Sticking with the MCU now, and there is news galore, as things seem to be undergoing a bit of a shake-up over at Marvel. The solo Spider-Man movie has been officially titled Spider-Man Homecoming, and Kevin Feige has been speaking about how the film will shake out. He referred to Marvel as being the film's creative producers while it remains a Sony movie, and also alluded to the fact that MCU characters would be likely to appear in Spider-Man solo movies moving forwards. But Spider-Man entering the MCU, in addition to the earlier announcement of an Ant-Man sequel, Ant-Man and the Wasp, appears to have had some repercussions, and Feige has announced that the main repercussion is going to be that the Inhumans movie will be moving back from its current July 2019 release date. How far back is unclear, but Inhumans always seem to occupy a kind of a strange place on Marvel's calendar, and saving it for Phase 4, probably, and figuring out how it fits into things there seems like a wise choice. Feige also hinted that Captain Marvel's filmmakers would be announced in the next few months, and that Comic-Con could be a potentially likely destination for the unveiling of the film's cast. And finally, Thor Ragnarok has undergone a pretty monumental change as well, with Natalie Portman not set to return as Jane Foster. 
Now, we joked so many times in this podcast about that particular character and Portman's seeming indifference towards the role, so that doesn't come as a huge surprise. Instead, we'll see Tessa Thompson appearing in the film, um, and according to Deadline, she will be, quote, a kind of a superhero, as well as Thor's love interest. Uh, Thompson is best known for her roles recently in Creed, Selma and Dear White People and is set to appear in HBO's upcoming Westworld series. It's not just the big screen MCU that has lots of news this week though and things are just as busy over on the small screen. Charlie Cox was talking about a third series of Daredevil and says he isn't sure whether there will be one yet although he does know that he will be filming the Defenders series at the end of this year. Now, that suggests we will get Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and probably a Jessica Jones Season 2 before the Defenders debuts, which will ultimately bring all those four characters together. Meanwhile, Iron Fist has added David Wenham to its cast, who will always be Faramir to me, but in this case he will be Harold Meacham, who was a business partner of Danny Rand's parents in the comics and betrayed them at the time of their death. That's not all for small screen Marvel though, because there's also news that the MCU will be extending its reach on the small screen to Freeform, which is the channel that until recently was known as ABC Family. Cloak and Dagger are the two characters who are set to be introduced in a new series on the channel, apparently being pitched as a superhero love story. And to quote the press release, Cloak and Dagger will centre on Tandy Bowen and Tyrone Johnson, teenagers from different backgrounds who grapple with newly acquired superpowers. Tandy can emit daggers of light, while Tyrone can engulf others in darkness, even as they fall in love. Briefly over to DC now after that Marvel overload, and the third trailer of Suicide Squad has arrived, which could likely be the last one we see before the film is released. The trailer name drops Superman early on and throws in a few more shots of Batman to make clear that this is a DC Universe movie. And there's even a bit more of Jared Leto's Joker this time, who at the moment seems to be the dividing line on this film for fans online. Regardless of all the Joker chat though, it's Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn who again undoubtedly steals the show here. That's not it for DC though, because Warner Brothers have confirmed, as expected, that Ben Affleck will star in and direct a standalone Batman movie with the aim to release that film within the next five years. And finally, a brief bit of X-Men news because details on the third Wolverine movie have started to emerge, beginning with the fact that Boyd Holbrook has been cast as the film's villain. Now, we don't know who he's going to be yet, but Deadline have reported that the character will be the head of security for a global company who is set against Jackman's Wolverine. We already know that James Mangold's movie will be aiming for an R rating. We're expecting Patrick Stewart to appear as Charles Xavier. And producer Simon Kinberg has now confirmed that the film will definitely take place in the future. And all of that news combined definitely lends credence to the rumours that this film will be riffing on the Old Man Logan storyline. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. And I think we'll, we're probably on safest footing kicking things off with Planet Hulk um, from Greg Pak and Carlo Pagulian. And I, um, as promised last week, aimed to read as much of this as possible and pretty much stuck with the main Planet Hulk series. Now, if you didn't hear me discussing the first arc of Planet Hulk, you can find that on a previous mini-sode that followed up our podcast, our main podcast on The Incredible Hulk, the MCU movie. 
so I basically picked up where I ended last last time after the first arc, which is the point at which Hulk and um, his warbound warriors head out into um, into the rest of the planet after escaping the gladiatorial arena. Um, and the arc I read of Planet Hulk basically covers all of the rest of what was included in the Planet Hulk movie that we discussed last week. Um, and I continued on to um, what what concluded the Planet Hulk arc after that and actually read forward and read through World War Hulk. Now, not the entire crossover event, uh, so no kind of other comics, just the issues of World War Hulk that that took place directly following the Planet Hulk arc in The Incredible Hulk. Um, so hopefully all that makes sense. I basically read The Incredible Hulk through all of Planet Hulk and all of World War Hulk, but no crossovers or anything like that. Um, and if anything, I would say mostly what this what this drove home is, and it's going to be me criticising the Planet Hulk animated movie again, but basically it drove home that what that movie is essentially to me is a Wikipedia plot summary of what happens in Planet Hulk. So if you watch the animated movie, you're going to get kind of like the, you know, the crib notes. This is what happens by and large up to the point that it stops. Um, and, you know, it just struck me that there were the things that it kind of threw in there and it seemed like it included just everything it needed to to tell the story in a way that made a degree of sense. But it also, that meant that it had to include stuff like kind of Hulk's blood making stuff grow and it had to include the prophecy at the start um, about Hulk potentially being the Sarkarsan who is going to save the entire planet but that there is also a world breaker who is prophesized um, and because of the animated film cutting off where it does it can never really explore that properly and it can never really explore any of the nuances of the character and Se- I mean Seb mentioned on last week's podcast that he'd read up on Meek and where Meek goes in the future of those comics and um yeah, you wouldn't really have any idea of that from watching the film, um, which is crazy because it kind of, his viewpoint kind of defines his entire character. Um, so basically he's just a bug with a funny voice in the animated film. Um, which is to say that I really enjoyed this a lot more. And James has spoken in the past on the podcast about how he finds the Hulk most interesting when there is this duality between the Hulk and Bruce Banner and that relationship. And that really can't exist for most of the Planet Hulk arc because we're mostly spending time with Hulk. There is a brief little bit of Bruce Banner um, that is that, that comes a couple of issues before the end of the arc. And... It, it, but it really didn't seem important to me because the crux of this seemed to be the balance between Hulk potentially being the Sakarsan, the saviour, and potentially being the world breaker. Um, and I guess ultimately what happens is it turns out that he is both. Um, but the the kind of the push and pull between the way that other characters view him and the way that he views himself throughout the entire Planet Hulk arc is really, for me, what drives the story and makes it interesting. And also the fact that you're having these characters around him who are kind of thrown just beside him at the start of the story and kind of make up a cool supporting cast. But the further you get through it, the more interesting they are. And I also I almost wonder if, if you wanted to adapt Planet Hulk, maybe the best way to do it would be like um, uh, an animated TV series where or an animated miniseries, which... I've, 
probably don't exist in this form, but just do a long-form story told over the course of maybe 13 half-hour episodes or something like that, where you can spend an episode really focusing on Meek or Korg or Kaira or, or all of these characters who on the page are really interesting. Um, and so I would say just it's, for me, a massive thumbs up for Planet Hulk. Um, this... Um, this this is for this for me was was more interesting than the first arc. I'm glad I continued to read it. Um, I'm glad I had this opportunity to continue to read it um, because it it really was um, an impressive piece of storytelling for me. And um, yeah, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Um, and and how the story how the Planet Hulk story ends is with the ship that Hulk arrived on exploding and basically killing millions of people on Sakaar. Um, and Hulk and his warbound resolving to go to Earth to take revenge on the humans who sent him there, or, um, or basically Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, Doctor Strange, and Black Bolt, and they're going to turn up on Earth and basically destroy the world because... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The humans are ultimately who is responsible for all this death and destruction on their planet. And Kiera dies in that as well, who at the time is pregnant with the Hulk's child. So Hulk is basically out for revenge because of because of his for, for losing his wife and child, as well as that sadness of, you know, kind of finally finding a home and then having it ripped from him at his happiest moment. Um, and Hulk basically, uh, it's also very interesting seeing at the end of the arc, how he is able to bring that planet together um, in a, in a very, in a very particular to that character kind of way. Um, and so when they come to earth, um, basically uh, there is a big fight and I read, <laughs> I read through the world war Hulk arc and I probably, 
I probably don't want to speak about this too much because um, I would say mostly what happens in the main series in regards to the World War Hulk story is pretty incomprehensible. Um, I've read some crossover events where it feels like I could have understood fully the story of what was happening just by reading the main arc of that crossover. Um, this wasn't one of them. Um, apparently there were like there were like three ongoing series because I went and Wikipedia this because a lot of what I was reading didn't make sense. But there were a few main series kind of following the World War Hulk arc and they were also crossing into other stuff. Um, but the actual main comic focuses more on Amadeus Cho and Hulk becomes a secondary character in that. And so we're kind of seeing everything through Cho's point of view and he interacts with, in the beginning, She-Hulk, um, but then he kind of forms a team with um, Namora and Angel and Hercules um, and it's them kind of trying to appeal to Hulk and to his warbound um, that destroying the planet isn't the right way to go and Amadeus Cho being convinced that Hulk isn't and has never been a killer um, which I, I think possibly could have been a really interesting follow-up to that to that um, you know that that relationship that the Hulk was having or that conflict the that the Hulk was having on planet Hulk between being the Sarkarsan and being the Worldbreaker, and now arriving on Earth, convinced that he is, in fact, the Worldbreaker, and someone starts saying to him and trying to appeal to him that, no, he's not. Um, and there are some good issues. There's an issue where Amadeus Cho and Rick Jones, who was an early partner of the Hulk, kind of have, have their kind of little duel about what is the true nature of the Hulk and Bruce Banner, and whether Banner's the good guy or whether Hulk's the good guy. And... Um, there is um, an issue where, and in the same issue, you've got Meek and Rick Jones kind of uh, looking at the character in different ways and Meek seeing himself as the character that reminded Hulk that what he's built for is revenge, whereas Rick Jones wants to do the opposite. Um, and there are interesting kind of little bits in that, but ultimately what actually happens in this story is, um, yeah, fairly incomprehensible from just reading these issues of World War Hulk. And reading the Wikipedia plot summary of the of what happens during the crossover event, I didn't get the half of the bigger strokes and actually how the whole thing was resolved seemed not to make any sense from that main series. Um, so I think perhaps to experience that story properly, you need to either read um, another series and treat that maybe... Uh, so there's World War Hulk Frontline, World War Hulk Gamma Corps, World War Hulk X-Men in addition to this main World War Hulk series. And yeah, I just I just got completely lost. Um, so obviously, the, um, the way I read it was not the right way to read it. Um, and maybe I'll find out from Seven James what I should have read instead, and um, I'll, I'll do that at a later point. Because it would be nice, after having read all of the Planet Hulk stuff, to really understand that, and maybe to have stuck with the character of the Hulk rather than to have shifted over to Amadeus Cho. Um, but yeah, so uh, big thumbs up for Planet Hulk and World War Hulk. Maybe I'll get back to you at the point at which I understood what happened. <laughs> um, I'll move on now to Seb's recommendation, which was Beta Ray Bill God Hunter. This was from Kieran Gillen and Kano. And this is a, um, again, a really enjoyable um, read three issue miniseries, um, which basically 
it focuses on Beta Ray Bill taking on Galactus. So Beta Ray Bill's planet has been destroyed by Galactus. All of his kind have been destroyed. And his entire reason for being is to protect those people. So that mission now being lost and failed, he puts he sets about to get revenge on Galactus. But not just revenge, but to... Um, make sure that Galactus can't do this to any more people to basically finally put an end to Galactus going around and devouring worlds and basically committing genocide every time he does so. Um, and the way he does is it's a really a really quite little clever twist to like how how do you actually take on Galactus and make him beatable? It's like well he's so strong he's so powerful you can't stop him from getting to these planets and annihilating them. You can't fight him and stop him. So what Bill does is he arrives on a planet, waits until all the inhabitants have kind of got onto ships and fled, and then destroys the planet himself so that Galactus can't eat it. So by the time Galactus has got there, it's already destroyed. And he is able to do this twice. Um, And on the third occasion, the Silver Surfer, who is one of Galactus's two heralds, turns up and has a conversation with him and says... Look, I know you want to do this. I know you want revenge on Galactus, but the problem is, if he doesn't feed on this next planet, he's already weak, and he's weak now because he's not feeding. And if Galactus dies, Galactus is so big and powerful that if he is destroyed, he will basically destroy everything for something like 46 light years surrounding him. And basically, the amount of worlds that will be destroyed is nothing compared to you allowing him to eat this uninhabited planet. Um, and this is all coming in the middle of um, Beta Ray Bill not being sure. Well, I think trying to tell himself that this is the right thing to do. Although his hammer, Stormbreaker, he can only lift it if he is noble. And um, after destroying the second planet, uh, which he does by some subterfuge, kind of betrays the people who live there. Um, he is no longer able to lift Stormbreaker. So it's kind of clear that he's on the wrong path and he is taking advice from um, a villain that he had uh, imprisoned in the first issue. And um, it's just a really nice setup for a moral dilemma for this character. Um, I I really like reading Beta Ray Bill. I think this is probably the best way. I can't imagine um, an ongoing series with him would be the most fascinating thing um, long-term, but over these three issues, it, it just works really well. And that's always the way that I've experienced this character is in a short burst here or there and just quite liking him in his small appearance. Um, and so this works well in giving giving him as a character things to work through. He has to basically make a decision of whether to defend and save the life of Galactus from the people whose worlds he's destroyed or to allow Galactus to die and save worlds in the future, um, but continue being true to himself and true to uh, understanding that the reason he came after Galactus in the first place wasn't purely revenge motivated, but was also motivated by making sure that other other worlds and other peoples didn't meet the same fate as his. Um, and ultimately, he makes the decision to defend Galactus. Um, and uh, it ends with a conversation between Galactus and Bill, where Galactus kind of is angry that Bill came after him to kill him in the first place but also acknowledges that he is alive because of Bill 
and um, basically is able to save one of the... It's um, pure comics nonsense, but is able to conjure up the essence of some of his people and create one more... Uh, one more female of his people to basically allow his allow his race to live on in the future um, and yeah just a really nice concise three issue story uh, all, all of that stuff you know is it's it's kind of nice as a, as, as a thing to read alongside Planet Hulk as well like I say this character being hellbent on revenge to one degree but also he's a hero and he's doing stuff that you're not necessarily convinced about. So, so it, it reflects the World War Hulk arc um, in which you're kind of following this hero who is trying to do the right thing, not sure he's doing the right thing and having a moral dilemma about that kind of, about all of the actions that you're seeing unfold. So um, I was a big fan of this and a big fan of um, Planet Hulk in particular. So yeah, I uh, thumbs up for both of the recommendations this week, and um, I'm certainly glad that both of these were recommended. It 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 is a uh, it is a nice outcome from having to watch Planet Hulk last week <laughs> that I got I got an excuse to read a Beta Ray Bill comic and also finish off Planet Hulk. Um, also, um, I should I should point out we've had uh, quite a few listeners getting in touch saying. Don't let Planet Hulk put you off doing animated stuff in the future. There's some really good stuff out there, we promise. Um, I, I've heard a lot of stuff about um, other Batman things. Uh, one of our listeners, Jason Smedley, got in touch to say we should try Assault on Arkham. Um, former pod guest, Michael Leader, um, also got in touch to say that we you know, should be looking at stuff like Batman the Brave and the Bold and Mask of the Phantasm, which, um, yeah, obviously, um, we agree. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're not going to be full-out ignoring animated stuff from now on. Um, I wouldn't expect anything in the immediate future, not least because there's a lot of films coming out in the cinema in the next couple of months. Um, but, yeah, we are not going to be, from one bad experience, deterred from entirely ignoring animated stuff in the future we'll probably just be a little bit more selective next time okay but that is it for this week's show don't forget that the next episode of cinematic universe will be focused on the mask if you're enjoying the show then please do subscribe to the podcast leave us a rating or review or head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe where you can support us financially you can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicmultiverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.